Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Good morning. It's great to be here at C4. You know, I've been hearing about God's work through this community out in Vancouver, and it really is a privilege to, to meet you and, and to spend some time with you this morning. Thank uh, John for the, the invitation and, and Dave for the warm welcome. When I was in my 20s, I worked briefly as a journalist, and during that time, I remember attending a journalism conference hosted by the Seattle Times. Uh, there were writers at that conference from the New York Times, the Washington Post, the LA Times, and also a cohort from the Vancouver Sun, which is the local newspaper in the city where I live, in Vancouver. And I remember the first keynote speaker coming to the podium of that conference and saying, we journalists have the greatest job in the world. We are telling the story of humanity as it unfolds in real time. Now, I have great regard for journalists. My wife is a former journalist. My dad was a journalist. Uh, this morning, I met a celebrity news announcer named Dave Adams. <laughs> I believe that people who announce the news and write editorials are doing really noble work. But I also believe that the greatest job in the world is not to announce the local or international news, as important as that is, but to proclaim the greatest news ever, the news of the life, death, and rising again of Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you know Jesus or are coming to know Jesus, then your great privilege and call is to become an ambassador for Jesus Christ and to tell his great news to the people around you and the world. And so I have the gift today of coming into your series, Spirit Move, from the book of Acts. Last Sunday, if you were here or if you saw online, uh, Dave Adams gave a very powerful message from Acts chapter 16. And so we're on Acts 17 today, and we're going to see how the Apostle Paul comes into the great city of Athens, the city of the famous philosophers like Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Epicurus, and Zeno, a city of great architecture like the Parthenon, the Acropolis, magnificent theaters and temples. But we're going to see that as Paul comes into the city, he just doesn't act as tourist as he's waiting for his ministry partners, Silas and Timothy, but he makes himself available to become this ambassador for Jesus in this great city. And so listen to God's word from Acts 17, 16 through 34. While Paul was waiting for them, that is, as I mentioned, Silas and Timothy, his ministry partners, he was greatly distressed to see that the city of Athens was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace by day with those who happened to be there. 
a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, maybe you can tell us this new teaching that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. And then Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, quote, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that people would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, we are God's offspring, and we should not think of the divine being as being like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human skill and design. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands people everywhere to repent, to turn to God. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him, that is Jesus, from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Let's take a moment to pray. Living God, as you tell us in your word here in Acts 17, you are not far from any one of us. And we pray that this day your spirit would move in us and draw us so close to your son Jesus Christ that we can't help but become an ambassador for him, that it would just naturally flow out of who we are, what we do, and what we say. And so we commit ourselves to you this day, asking that you would use us individually, that you would use C4 powerfully in this region and around the world. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. So today we're going to be looking at this passage in Acts 17, where Paul is in Athens. And we're going to explore how we are called to communicate Christ in three possible arenas. In verse 16, we read that Paul was waiting for his ministry partners Silas and Timothy here in Athens, but he's not just walking around like some aimless tourist. Nothing wrong with being a tourist, but that's not what Paul is doing. He doesn't say, here's my chance to finally do Athens. I'm going to see the Parthenon and the Acropolis. Let me pull out my smartphone here and Google TripAdvisor Athens, best places to eat. 
Again, nothing wrong with doing those things, but instead, Paul prays and he says, God, I'm available to you. Use me as your instrument here in this great city. And we read in verse 16 that as Paul was walking around the streets of Athens, he was, quote, distressed because Athens was full of idols. Now, this is no exaggeration. Athens at the time had about 10,000 inhabitants, but 30,000 idols. Idols made of stone and silver and gold. Idols like Apollos, Ares, and Aphrodite. And Durham, Ajax, Port Perry, the GTA, is a place full of idols. Maybe not as many gold, silver, and stone idols per capita as ancient Athens, but nonetheless, there are countless idols in this part of the world. The Danish philosopher Søren Kierkegaard defined an idol as anything other than God that is at the center of your life. And so for folks in the GTA, an idol might be their work, or their career achievement. Nothing wrong with either, but if these things become more important than God, they are an idol. Uh, For folks here in this area, an idol could be a relationship or needing the approval or affection of someone. Again, nothing wrong with a relationship. That is a gift, but if a person, a relationship becomes more important to us than God, then that person, that relationship is an idol to us. Or take recreation or a hobby. God invites us to play. These are good things, but if some sport or some activity becomes the dominant focus of our lives, supplanting God, then that is an idol to us. We see in the text here that in Athens, Paul engages with some Epicurean philosophers The Epicureans were people who believed that we are here as a result of some chance collision of atoms, some cosmic fluke, that there is no afterlife and therefore we should live for the moment, that we should grasp pleasure. Now most people in the GTA, most people in Durham don't describe themselves as Epicureans, but there are a lot of people here who believe that we are on the planet because of some cosmic accident that happened billions of years ago, that there is no afterlife. And so our life in many ways is like one of these carrots. One day, we will fall to the ground like a carrot, rot, and be no more. Dave, I know how much you love carrots, so I'll save a couple of these for you afterwards. I know that you're looking to supplement the sunlight out there with some vitamin A, so I'll make sure that there are a couple that are, are, are not thrown. And so what does Paul do when he sees these people who are enslaved, mostly unknowingly, to idols? In verse 17, we read that he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. Now, the closest parallel that we would have for the synagogue in Paul's day from our perspective as 
Canadians and folks at C4 would be the church. And so when you read synagogue, if you want to translate that culturally for our context, think church. So Paul went to the synagogue to proclaim the message of Jesus. And God can and will use churches like C4 in a powerful way to proclaim the greatest news ever, the news about the life, death, and rising again of Jesus Christ. Before I went to seminary in Boston, as Dave mentioned, I was working for the Sony Corporation in Tokyo. And I'm a layperson. I'm in my 20s. And I have a roommate who is a high school teacher, a prep school teacher, who is also a Christian. And as Christmas is rolling around, my roommate approached me and said, Ken, why don't you and I organize a Christmas outreach service around Christmas Eve, and I'll invite my students, and you can invite your friends who who don't believe in God. And I I said, I think it's a great idea. And and my roommate said, I'll organize it if you preach. So I'm a layperson at this time. I said, why should I preach? And my roommate looked at me and said, well, you remind me of Robert Schuller. Some of you know that name, right? Robert Schuller was this upbeat, very positive thinking kind of pastor, preacher in Southern California at the time. Uh, he was the Joel Olstein of his day. I said, okay, I'll give it a try. He got me a blue robe to preach in like uh, Robert Schuller had back in the day. And on the night before this Christmas service, my roommate sat me down in his room in our apartment. And he looked me in the eye and he said, you know, everyone is going to come to this service will not believe in God. They're not not Christian. And so all I want you to do through your message is to give people a kind of romantic mood of Christmas. And then he paused and looking me straight in the eye, which is very un-Japanese, he said, whatever you do, Ken, don't you dare try to convert anyone. Well, the next evening, we're there at our little chapel and about 55 High school students and some friends of ours who don't believe filled our our small space. And I'm sitting on the platform in this blue robe, and I'm looking out. And as we're singing some Christmas carols, it occurs to me that none of these kids, it seems, has ever been in church. And they'll probably never be back in a church because it's not a Christian country. And I just felt this wave of fear sweep over me. And I thought, this may be the one chance they get to hear about Jesus. And I thought, at the end of the night, I need to answer to my roommate, but at the end of my life, I'm going to have to answer to God for what I say. And so when I walk up to the platform, I I start off kind of light and breezy, describing Christmas growing up in Canada, in Vancouver, occasional snow, believing in Santa Claus as a young boy, describing my favorite Christmas gift of a hockey stick. I was able to guess what it was, even though it was wrapped. And I can't remember how I made the transition, but I looked out at those students and I said, in about two months in February, you're going to be facing what you feel is the most important exam of your life, your university entrance exam, that will determine your career, your trajectory in life. But then I looked at them and said, but that's only the second most important exam of your life. When you die, you will have an examination before the living, holy God as to whether you are able to spend eternity with him. And I said, the good news of Christmas is that God has someone 
who has taken that exam for you and aced it. I said 2,000 years ago, the invisible God became one of us, a baby in Jesus Christ, born in a manger in Bethlehem. He lived a perfect life. And then he voluntarily died on a Roman cross for our sins, for our failures, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be given a clean slate. And if you want tonight, you can give your life to Jesus Christ and know that you will not only spend the world to come with God, but this life as well. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I think my roommate was pretty nervous at this point. It's like, you don't sound very much like Robert Shuler right now. <laughs> and I said, if you want to give your life to Christ right now, I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand and about 10 high school students raise their hands. And I thought, this can't be happening. This is Japan. It's supposed to be so resistant to Christianity. So I said, put, put down your hands. You misunderstood me. I'm really not a preacher. <laughs> if this is a lay person. I've been to seminary, but let me try and explain this more clearly. If you give your life to Jesus Christ, your life will get harder, not easier, in a place like Japan. Your parents may disown you. It might be harder to get a promotion in certain contexts. Your life is not going to be easy. It's going to be filled with all kinds of difficulties if you decide to follow Jesus here in Japan. So put your heads down, eyes closed. Now how many of you are willing to commit your life wholly to Jesus Christ? even if it means you're going to have to pay for it with your life. This time, 15 kids raised their hands. And our church was a typical small Japanese church, about 25 people on a Sunday. We had an instant youth group. (laughs) Didn't have one before, but had one. And I know that God can use the church, and I know that he is using churches like C4 for his amazing kingdom purposes at Christmas, at Easter, It was great to see people baptized the Sunday after Easter at one of these services here. I know God is using Alpha. You're very committed to hosting Alpha a couple of times a year. And I love the vision that that Dave and John and you have to see God plant new sites east, west, in Durham and the GTA and wherever in the world God might lead you. God will use the church to proclaim the message of Jesus. And then as we go on in the text, we also see in verse 17 that Paul engages people not only in the synagogue or the church, but in the agora, the marketplace. If you were here last Sunday, you may recall that Dave was teaching that Paul would go into the synagogue first, typically. And then after talking about Jesus enough, you'd often get kicked out of the church. And maybe that's what's happening here in Athens. We don't know. But he moves into the agora, what we would call the marketplace, and engages in conversations with people there. Now, what would be the equivalent of our marketplace here? Well, it's different in in different parts of the world. In some parts of the world, the marketplace would be a park where people would gather. So yesterday, I was staying near Queen's Park at the University of Toronto, and I noticed that a bunch of Venezuelans were gathering to protest the injustice happening in their land. In some places, the marketplace would be a city square or a pub or a coffee shop. Uh, For many of us here in Ajax or Port Perry, our marketplace would be our neighborhood, a, a favorite haunt there, or perhaps 
our school or our workplace. And God calls us to proclaim the greatest news, the news of Jesus' life, death, and rising again, not only in the church, but also in the marketplace. Uh, let me say this in, in parenthesis. Is you may know, when Dr. Luke records the speeches in the book of Acts, they are almost certainly summaries of what was actually said, briefer renditions. And so when Paul speaks in Athens, he likely quotes scripture, what we would call the Old Testament, but it's also interesting to note that he quotes the Cretan poet Epimenides, for in him we live and move and have our being. This is not from scripture. This is from one of their pagan poets. He also quotes the Sicilian Stoic poet Eratus when he says, we are his offspring. And it is noteworthy that Paul is willing to cite pagan poets that he does not completely agree with when their ideas are consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ because he knows that his hearers will be more likely to receive the message from their own people or the the poets that they follow. And some of us here may be called to read secular literature. I've read the writings of people like David Foster Wallace, the postmodern novelist. People like Alain de Baton, the Swiss-born English atheist philosopher, because some of their ideas are very consistent, ironically, with the message of Scripture. And commentators also note that the structure of Paul's speech here in Athens follows closely the rhetorical style that Jewish people would use when seeking to convince people who don't believe in the existence of God. And so some of you here and in Port Perry may be called to study apologists like the brilliant Oxford scholar C.S. Lewis or the theologian N.T. Wright or thoughtful pastors and writers like Tim Keller or Lee Strobel so that you can, like Paul, reason persuasively with skeptics in your midst. The Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. And do this with gentleness and respect. And if you know Christ, you'll certainly be called to reflect on how you can communicate the beauty and the wonder of your unique faith story, your pilgrimage, your testimony, which God can use in the lives of people around you. You know, there may be a few of you that are called to literally go into the streets and talk to people about Jesus or to even be a street preacher in some cases. A.W. Tozer, a great writer on the spiritual life from the 20th century, was converted to Christ through a street preacher. So God can use street preachers. But most of us, in all likelihood, will be called to be an ambassador of Christ, primarily in our neighborhoods, our homes, our schools, and our workplaces. You know, as Dave mentioned, I worked for the Sony Corporation before I became a pastor. And I remember one day, this brilliant scientist named Shintaro approached me. He was working for Sony, finishing up his PhD at the University of Tokyo, Japan's finest university. And he was telling me that he was measuring the different dimensions of a sphere. I didn't really know 
or understand you know, what he was talking about, to be honest. And that he was about to head off to Vienna for some science conference to make a presentation. And he said, as far as I know, no one has ever made this discovery before in history. And he said, as I am looking at these spheres that have never been measured to my knowledge, it looks like there was a designer. And I've also been reading the writing of Leo Tolstoy, who I understand was a Christian. And can I know that you are a Christian? And I'm wondering if we can get together for lunch because I'd like to know why you are a Christian. What makes you believe? And so we got together for lunch and had a great conversation and invited him to come to our faith community. He was on a journey. My friend Gil is currently a manager at Coca-Cola. He's part of our faith community in Vancouver. He's gone a step further and on his desk at work, and he's a beloved, respected manager at Coke, he has a stack of Christian books with a title that causes people to say, hey, what's that? And then that begins a conversation for him about faith. Some of you will be called to proclaim Jesus in the marketplace, in your work, at school, in your neighborhood. Some of you primarily in the church, maybe through Alpha. But then the Apostle Paul goes on, and we read that he is taken to the Areopagus. Areos is the word that we translate Mars. Pegas, the word for hill. The Areopagus would be the ancient court of justice for Athens. Now, we don't have the exact equivalent here in the GTA, so I want you to think the Areopagus is city council plus the leading scholars at the U of T and the leading intellectuals of the GTA combined into one ruling community. The closest equivalent that we might have to Areopagus would be perhaps academy. And God will call some of you, like Paul, to communicate the news of Jesus Christ in the academy, in some place of cultural influence. Dr. Santa Ono is the new president of UBC. He's also a committed Christian. He came to faith in Christ when he was a PhD student in science at McGill. And later he became a professor at a university in the South, in the United States, and a well-meaning Christian approached Dr. Ono, who at the time was a fairly new Christian, and said, I advise you to stay under the radar with your faith. Be a stealth Christian. Because you might run into opposition if you tell folks you're a Christian. Well, Dr. Ono prayed about it. He thought about it. And he sensed God was calling him to be a public Christian. Not obnoxious, but to be unashamed of his faith. And at UBC, he is this much beloved and respected president and professor, and he is open about his faith. He's, he's the president for all. So when those folks experienced that tragedy, the terror attack in Quebec City on January 29th, Dr. Ono met with the Muslim students as they prayed and as they mourned. He's, he's the president for everyone, but he is unashamed to call himself a Christian. And he contacted me fairly recently. He's been attending some of our worship services and said, Ken, if you ever would like me to share the story of my own faith journey at your church, 
I'd be glad to do so. So he's going to be speaking there on September 24th, and we're going to invite a bunch of the UBC students. And some of you will be called to bear witness to Jesus in the academy or in some sphere that will shape culture. You will be a teacher, a professor, a thought leader, a writer, perhaps a journalist. You know the columnist David Brooks for the New York Times? I understand that he has fairly recently come to faith in Jesus. He has said, I'm a believer. And as I'm reading his columns, his faith comes through. It's not in a kind of punch you on the nose kind of way, but it's clear that his faith has affected his life and his, his writing. Do you know the name Brene Brown? If you watch TED Talks, you may be familiar with that name. She's a social science researcher who specializes in shame of all things. But she's not ashamed to speak of her faith and her belief in God. Some of you may be called to make a difference in the sphere of the arts. I think of someone like Martin Scorsese, who's a Catholic believer and who wants his faith to be demonstrated through films like Silence. I think of Denzel Washington, who was a pastor's kid, and I think he would say that there have been times when I have struggled to really live as a Christian. But someone asked him, a reporter asked him, why do you play such dark roles in your films? And Denzel responded by saying, for the wages of sin is death. Romans 3, Romans 6. And so God is calling us as C4 to proclaim the good news about Jesus in the church, in the marketplace, and in the academy. Let me close by turning to verses 26 and 27. We read that God marked out the appointed times in history and the boundaries of our lands. God did this so that people would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Dave last Sunday talked about the sovereignty of God and there are no accidents in God's providence. God brought you here to the GTA. He brought you to Ajax. He brought you to Port Perry for a reason that you might hear the good news, that you might believe, that you might proclaim the good news. And I am so grateful for Canadians who have been willing to share the good news about Jesus. I was born in Japan. When I was a young boy, our family lived in England, and then in 1974, my dad's contract as a broadcaster, as a journalist for the BBC expired, and we had five kids in our family. My dad thought, it's going to be too expensive to move back to Tokyo. Canada is a country with a lot of land and a big future. Let's move to Vancouver. And so I grew up in Vancouver, and as a teenager, I was getting into trouble, shoplifting, joyriding, drug dealing on a small scale, getting into fights at school. And my dad, who was this very conservative, traditional Japanese man, was very concerned about me. And so he took me on a field trip to a local prison. <laughs> and he said, son, I just wanted you to see your future home. <laughs> Courtesy of my tax dollars. Didn't phase me trying to scare me straight. But my dad had just become a follower of Jesus, so he brought me to a youth conference, a Christian youth conference. I heard the gospel, and my life was forever changed. And sometimes I think if I had 
not only been born in Japan, but had been raised there, where maybe one in 200 people are Christians who actually know God. Chances are I would not have come to know God. But God in his providence brought my family and me to Canada so that we could hear about Jesus so that our lives would be forever changed. And God is bringing the world to the GTA, to Durham, in part so that people would seek him. And God is opening up doors for this church to proclaim the greatest message ever to these people. You know, as the Canadian dollar is getting weaker, maybe some of you think it's too expensive to send missionaries overseas. But just when it feels too expensive to send a lot of missionaries overseas, God is bringing the world to Durham at their own expense. And you don't need to cross an ocean to be a missionary. You can cross a street or cross a room. And in the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, John has this vision where people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group are coming together and worshiping the living God. God is bringing the world to you. And he's inviting you to engage in the greatest privilege of your life to be an ambassador in the church, in the marketplace, or the academy, and to communicate the greatest, most life-shaping, hope-inspiring message ever, the news of Jesus' life, death, and rising again. C4, will you embrace this privilege? Will you embrace it? Because this is your call. This is your destiny. Let's pray together. If you're not sure that you know the living God, Scripture tells us that He is not far from any one of us. And even right now in your heart, like I did when I was a teenager, you can say, I don't understand it all. But thank you, God, for coming for me in Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins. I give my life to you. And as you give your life to God, God will speak through you. Some of you know Jesus here. I want you to take a moment to ask God to show you someone that you could pray for who doesn't know Jesus, that you could share God's love with through your life, your deeds. And as the Holy Spirit opens a door through your words as well. Pray for that person. Or if no one comes to the mind, pray that God now or soon would show you someone that you can pray for. That God would open their hearts to Jesus, even as he opened Lydia's heart to Jesus, as we looked at last week. And Damaris' heart. God, open the heart of draw them to you. And then finally, as we prepare to worship and come to the table, take a moment to pray for C4, this great church that God is raising up. What does God want C4 to see? Where will God send C4 to proclaim this great news? Port Perry, but east, west, around the world. Pray that God would use you not just individually, but that God would use this beautiful community to embody and to proclaim the greatest message ever, the message of Jesus.
And we commit ourselves and we commit this faith family to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.